made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage the world's better place for autistic An people. An aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant. Thank you for listening to A Different Brilliant. I'm your host, Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. A Different Brilliant is an aspect podcast made for autistic adults and parents or carers of kids on the autism spectrum. My purpose is to inspire, inform, and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. And if you're not autistic, but you're open to learning more about this mysterious disability we call autism, well, you've come to the right place. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. On part two of our episode on women and girls on the spectrum, we explore what it's like to be an autistic woman. My guest on this episode is actor, writer, author and autistic woman, Madeline Ryan. Madeline, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, for the benefit of everyone listening, can you tell us a bit about you and also your your writing career? So I did grow up in a household with journalists, sort of surrounded by books. It was always a part of my life, the, the, the writer and writing writers. And I thought when I was growing up that I wanted to be an actress, though. I didn't know I was autistic when I was a child. I was diagnosed a lot later in life. I was 28 when I was diagnosed. So most of my life I was pursuing acting and I guess surviving as best I could with the knowledge that I had about myself, which kind of wasn't much, I guess. And then once I got into my 20s and I went to acting school, I met some women um, who were on the spectrum and became very close friends with them. And they, I think one day, you know, I mean, I'd spend whole days with them on the weekends just talking and eating in this beautiful sort of space together and I just remember thinking wow like I don't communicate like this with anyone you know there's no one in my life that I feel so at ease talking with this is amazing and I said it to them and they both kind of looked at me and said well perhaps Madeline it's because you're on the spectrum and I was like what really oh my goodness and I I kind of I didn't really know what to do with the information initially and then it kind of alongside that I started writing a bit more myself. It's kind of like the two things sort of came to fruition at once that I I began writing a novel and I was writing different articles for papers and realising that that gave me a lot of joy and felt really relieving and the way in which I could write was super supportive of, I guess, that feeling of joy and, and passion but also you know, I could do it in a room by myself and I could express myself. And there was like an ease with that that was really um, reassuring and invigorating. And so that was happening alongside, you know, then these communication sort of issues in my family arose. And I sort of said to them, look, I, I, you know, I think I'm autistic. And they were like, what? Really? 
that makes so much sense. That would like there are so many dots we can join now about you if that's true. And so then we decided to go through the assessment process and I was diagnosed and then I started writing specifically about the autistic experience and I think it was at a moment where people were really starting to need that, especially from women, because obviously there isn't a lot of information out there about autistic women, what it means to be an autistic woman, what autistic women are like. So it kind of all collided at once, like stars colliding. <laughs> I can't even believe how similar our stories are. It's kind of scary. It's a, it's a, oh, wow. It's astounding. Well, you know, for starters, as you know, I mean, yeah. you, I, I've worked in radio. I also studied acting down here in Melbourne at a place called, Did you? At a place called 16th Street Actors <gasps> Studio. That's where I went. I was the first ever part-time class. Wow, because I was 2012. Full-time full course, though. I did the full-time course. Yeah, and see, I met my partner there as well. Welcome to acting, huh? But, yeah, so with, you know, I I was, know. <laughs> anyway, it was, I can't believe that. We both studied at the same, acting at the same place. We both wanted to be in acting, one reason oh. or another. And Anyway, there you go. Well, look, maybe we'll, we'll write a script and we'll, get, we'll, 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 shoot, we'll shoot something. Anyway. About exactly this. Like, what is this? I think that there, I mean, I was drawn to it because I think it helped me better understand myself and other people. Yeah, that, that was the crux of it for me, for sure. We need to go back on topic and we can work on the movie project later. So let, let, <laughs> let's talk about your diagnosis. Now, yeah. you've talked about what led you to there. Mm. Talk us a bit about, you know, being diagnosed and also let's flag the idea of the barriers for women being diagnosed. Was that something you even had any idea about or for you was it just like a normal person going to see someone and getting a diagnosis? No, not at all. <laughs> it was certainly not that. I mean, I, I'd been in therapy as well for about a decade already. So I had, I was very much a part of that. I'm going to my therapist once a week for an hour talking about what's going on and basically being diagnosed as experiencing all different things. Cause I, in my teens, I was really struggling with I guess, I mean, I guess you call it depression and anxiety, but I kind of developed disordered eating patterns and went through all this stuff that I felt like I needed help quite early on in my teens, I guess. And so I started seeing therapists, but no one ever mentioned autism. I was seeing really great therapists. Like these people were really wonderful and I would see them for years at a time before I kind of went to someone else to sort of deal with a different aspect of myself and no one mentioned it. So it was really those two women on the spectrum that I met at acting school who flagged it and then I went to my therapist and said I think I could be autistic and he kind of looked at me and was like right well I guess that's important to explore and I was like yes and he was like I have never seen an autistic woman so this would be kind of new for me as well but definitely explore it like he was very supportive but it's not like he knew anything and he I mean he was amazing. He was a wonderful person to see and to speak to, but he didn't know anything about it. So I guess that was my first introduction to how little people yeah. know about autistic women. But not only that, I mean, when I think back on my acting experiences, just to bring that back into it, I was constantly being told to stop performing. But it was this strange experience of it was my first encounter with being, I think, and I've you know, since learned that autistic women are really inclined to like disguise, mask, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you seem like someone who's been able to do that successfully as well. And I do know other men who've done this too, who are probably receiving diagnosis, you know, an autism diagnosis later in life as well. So you must be skilled at this too. And I don't want to make it necessarily a fully gendered thing, but I'm conscious that women, from what I've read, from what I understand, are especially good at performing and masking and being able to mimic a lot of the social cues. Well, that's a fact. 
That, that's, 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 a fact. that's a fact. I can okay. tell you. Yes, for, right. I, can, I can tell you that's yeah. a, that's a fact. But and, and you're right. You're right. Given that I got a diagnosis later in life, I was clearly good at masking. But can I can I say though, yeah. I wasn't good at masking to the point where I could maintain relationships, friendships, or job. Uh, I mean, you know, like I right. still, uh, it still yeah. made trouble for me in workplaces and with relationships and friends. So it's still the right people. But come, I would yeah. say though, I would say on that, even though I was able to sustain a lot of friendships, they were friends with a mask. Yeah. So even though there was the longevity there, once I started, and this probably happened even before the autism diagnosis, really, once I started actually listening to what felt right for me socially or, and I started expressing that a bit more or being drawn to different sorts of people more or doing, exploring different things, the people that I'd had friendships with didn't know how to relate to that and couldn't anymore. So it's like an inevitable thing. It's just a matter of time. And yeah. it's whether or not the people are happy with what's, behind the mask and kind of already knew it anyway like I had one friend who kind of said to me you know this is a relief because you've never talked about yourself in all the times we've spent together so the fact that you're starting to do that now is a relief for me actually because sometimes meeting up was really hard work because you'd be constantly asking me questions but you wouldn't actually be sharing anything and I was like really because you know people are very often obviously very happy to talk about themselves if you're asking them so I must have and I'm sure you could probably relate to that that was my way in a lot of the time and so it was nice when I had a friend who was able to see that and be honest about it once I sort of started expressing myself more but a lot of people with or without the autism diagnosis really once I started being I guess I mean it's a cliche but more myself weren't at ease with that so the mask is a some might argue a blessing but it's a curse absolutely Um, well yeah I host four interview-based podcasts so you can see that we we like asking (laughs) questions Uh, (laughs) totally totally but then again, um, which is really frustrating for you and, and women, but for me actually helped the, a comorbidity identified with my autism was anxiety. Or ironically for women, they like, yeah. go, oh, you're just anxious. So for me, social anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety disorder is what I was diagnosed with, as, which is interesting because people go, how can you do radio? How can you perform? How can you act if you have these anxieties? And I say, no, 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 I don't, <laughs> I don't have those anxieties when I'm performing and, and acting. I have those anxieties in real life with real, you know, with real people. And the main issue about masking as you say is there's really nothing good about masking because in the end what masking is is the real world is saying you need to be like us to live in our world so in effect we're living our entire life in someone else's world and the only way to do that is by not being ourselves so you know getting a diagnosis the friends and family and the people they actually meet you for the first time that's kind of one of the really daunting things about a diagnosis but from your point of view how do you identify yourself regarding your diagnosis because a lot of people use different terms and it'd be interesting to see what you use and also I guess how do you feel about being an autistic woman I love being an autistic woman my encounter with myself since understanding that I'm autistic and I say I'm autistic because I believe that it's how I perceive the world it it shapes everything about like my identity and my idea of my identity and so I'm happy to say that I'm autistic because it's how my brain's wired it's how I process information sensory experiences just everything comes through that lens because that's you know my brain so I fully encompass autism and saying I'm autistic but um on my you know, in the diagnosis, it did say, you know, autism spectrum Asperger's at that point, which I know um, has sort of changed or the DSM-5 has now said, you know, everything's just autism and all that sort of stuff. But 
my decision to say I'm autistic is a little bit separate from that, although I do like or the word autism, just the idea that my identity is sort of thanks to a doctor's name sort of didn't feel quite right for me. Yep. Just on that, like, I don't know if that's a linguistics thing or a gender thing. I don't know what it is, but I just, the, the word autism for me has the same connotations as things like mysticism, veganism, Buddhism. And it was like, oh, autism, like that fits. I can do an ism. You yeah, know, I like, yeah. I like the isms. Um, that's, that's I, actually, I, I actually worked at a cafe and this guy nicknamed me ism when i was like 17 <laughs> and so here i am totally embracing the ism again i can so, see that yeah. i mean you don't want to say you know you have a guy's name that that's that's strange i think that's why some it people is when you think yeah, about it that's why some people and i do it sometimes refer to it as aspie but i totally aspie, yeah. i totally agree with, with what you're saying i'm the same i say i'm autistic i don't have autism, yeah. I don't live with autism, mm. I don't suffer from autism, I am autistic. It's not yeah. separate. So, no, I, I totally agree. Are there benefits? Do you see benefits? I mean, that might sound like a strange question to, to some people, but what, what are your kind of biggest benefits you see as being an autistic woman? Seeing things that other people miss. I think there's a lot of things that a lot of neurotypical people do unconsciously and instinctually, which is a, which is a gift. They can kind of you know, they can summarise a lot of information and take action without having to think too much about it. But the way that I'm wired or that we're wired, I can see all the little steps that they miss in the process of making a decision about something. And, oh, hang on, do you realise that by choosing that you're also implying this and this and maybe a bit of that? And, like, oh, by the way, has anyone noticed that the fluorescent lights in here are, like, really horrible and that everyone's, like, more drained because of that? Or is that just because every supermarket has this lighting and you've all decided that that's a uniform thing and that that's, like, standard but no one's actually questioned it because this is, like, I don't think anyone likes fluorescent lights but I'm just the one saying it. Yes. So there's this, like, quality of picking up on things others miss, I think, is the is, is probably summarised is a lot of what I see is the gift for me and being sensitive, coming at problems from a different perspective, you know, being kind of, I wouldn't say non-judgmental, but I kind of would. But it's like I guess there's kind of a wide-eyedness to things occurring where it takes a while for me to develop a judgment, I guess, about something. I'm not quick to judge things. I need to weigh up different things. It's just a whole different approach to people, interactions, life, existence that I think is really healthy for the world to embrace because so many people are kind of going through the motions in a way that autistic people aren't are designed not to. You know, we're designed to question things and to do things differently and that can help everybody. So I think that it's a huge gift and I think there's a massive misconception about it and the way that it's handled and related to. And I, I mean, the work that you're doing and I, I hope the work that I was doing was really helping to open that up for people because we're here to help. We're not here to be a burden at all. I think that that'll change with time, that perception. And I think you're yeah. absolutely right that those benefits, those those gifts you get, they are really uh, unique compared to what you might get offered from a neurotypical person. And then when you put them together, it really is a great team effort. I can't speak it's on behalf powerful. of you. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't speak on behalf of you and your partner, but you know, my wife is neurotypical and, and, and frankly, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think you, when you combine her and me together, she, she helps me, I help her. And we've, we've both created really amazing experiences in our lives. And without each other, we wouldn't have got there. And I think that's just an amazing gift to be able to combine two completely different minds into working, 
relationships, all different facets. And I think if we can actually see that and embrace that more, whether it's in workplaces, relationships or, or whatever, I think people will start to realise these gifts when they go together, they work really well. And that's why I think sometimes I get a bit uncomfortable when there's like shows where they're trying to like hook autistic people up with other autistic people. It's like, guys, are we trying to say where, you know, are we trying to say, what are, what are you saying? Like autistic mm. people should date whoever they want to date. Like, do you know what I mean? I get a bit uncomfortable with that yes. kind of, that kind yeah. of mentality. It's like, I'm not too sure what this is about. Are you saying they can only date autistic people? They should. I mean, it's, I'm ranting again and that's what, what I'm famous for. But anyway, I think, I think, <laughs> you know, you and I both agree these kind of gifts or benefits. How have they influenced your passion and your career in writing? Well, yeah, just as you were speaking, I, I was thinking of all the articles that I've written and I've worked with editors and even like I've, I've written a book which is coming out this year and thinking of the publishers that I've been working with and just what you described with, with your wife, that sense of the, the magic that can happen when the autistic perspective comes together with, I guess you could say a neurotypical perspective but also a more mainstream perspective and what you're able to then express or create when you actually marry all of the different needs. Like I think that that's true communication to bring all of that together and then create something special that can speak to everybody regardless of whether you're on or off the spectrum, that's so powerful. And then, that, I mean, that's got a universal quality to it that I think means that everybody can learn from, from that coming together of different types of brains, different types of perceptions, different types of experiences of the world. If you can marry them and everyone is nourished by that, like what more could you want? Absolutely. So... With my writing, I think every article I can think of that I've written or with the book, it, I would I think that the power in it is that that's occurring and that it can kind of transcend labels, ideally, because it's like if you've got more brain power or more wiring or more things to draw on, how could that be a negative thing? That could only be a positive thing. Absolutely. For those listening, what's the name of the book and what's the best way of finding out more about it? Well, it's called A Room Called Earth. It is a fiction and it will be coming out around the world in like full spring of this year. It's being published by Scribe in the UK and Commonwealth and Penguin Press in the US and Canada. Yeah, it's a literary fiction. It's from the first person perspective. She's autistic and it's a night in her life she goes to a party it's set in Melbourne and she goes to a party and encounters different people and it's from her perspective there's a love story it was very joyous to write and it was very joyous to develop it and share it and now yeah I'll be going through the sort of publishing process but yes that's how people can find it later this year it will be available hopefully in a bookshop near them or something. <laughs> I well, don't know. Yeah. Okay. I hope you um, sell a, a billion copies. And by the way, can I say a legitimate congratulations on such an achievement and an unbelievable oh. achievement publishing in those regions is extraordinary. So well done. That's amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's great. It, 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 well, it is. It is. Now, I mean, yeah. a lot of people write stuff, but come on, please. Mm. No, like, she's getting she's getting stuff published across the world like hello give me a break guys seriously like please Um, okay now what would you say are your kind of greatest challenges being an autistic woman ah belonging yeah it's got to be belonging (laughs) yeah that that. feeling of belonging it's like i guess it's it you know it starts again god i feel like i refer to so many cliches but i guess that's because there's truth to them but there's something about i mean part of me believes that autistic people in a way are the manifestations of like a heightened version of what neurotypical people are probably going through but we're like 
existing at the extremes. We sense everything in such a direct way that our day-to-day existence is, is shaped by that, whereas neurotypical people are kind of gliding across the surface. So when I say belonging, I'm conscious that a lot of neurotypical people would obviously grapple with that too. But I can absolutely say that when you put all of my different facets together as an autistic woman and all the different things that that means socially and to do with all kinds of things with communication with people and expectations, it has certainly left me feeling, I guess, that feeling of, I don't know if it's a feeling or a perception, but of not fitting in and being misunderstood more frequently than not and having to wrestle with that. I think that that's, and the sense of isolation and alienation that that can create is really palpable. And I think ultimately when I think of all the years I had in therapy prior to the diagnosis, I was essentially grappling with that because I could sense that I was putting on a show in order to fit in. And when I was coming away from social encounters, I wasn't feeling invigorated or nourished by them. I was feeling more lonely. Essentially, it's always been that feeling. It's just now I understand it myself a bit better and I understand myself a bit better even if others can't and that that has great weight and significance in my life for me but I'm conscious that, yeah, that's something I've always wrestled with and, yeah, probably the hardest part about being an autistic woman, I would say. And I can tell you, as an autistic man, I I completely relate to that. That's absolutely my life. That is exactly everything you said. Is this, and I think it's similar to for many autistics, absolutely one hundred percent. The i, you know, the idea that I can, I feel most alone when I'm around lots of people. You know, the, the opposite yeah. of normal people. Hopefully, that helps people listening to understand that they're not alone. But f- from your point of view, what advice would you give? You know, newly diagnosed women and girls. Maybe it's something that you've learned. Maybe it's something that you didn't get, you wish you got. What kind of advice could you offer them? Follow what gives you a sense of joy and relief, kind of regardless of how it's perceived or what a doctor does or doesn't tell you or whatever. Follow what gives you a feeling of, yeah, joy and relief it's got to be because when I've done that in my life, it has opened up doors in terms of, connecting with other people like I very much and I'm sure you can relate to this as well but I very much connect with other people through what my passions are of course and what gives me joy and relief has a ripple effect or a domino effect through community I guess it it can like it has the power to do that so if you follow the things that give you joy and relief not only will it nourish your day-to-day life and help you then understand better how you're wired once you gravitate toward that it can connect you with the world too so it has that like that's sort of a a beautiful byproduct of of that process my parents even though they didn't know I was autistic were always very supportive of the things that excited me and that I wanted to express and explore and that I see as such a saving grace and now it's just blossomed even more than ever because of understanding autism too and that part of that being who I am and what I am so it's all kind of come together but yeah what gives you joy is a very, very powerful force. So to trust that because it'll 
take care of you. And it's great yeah. advice not only for autistic women and girls, but also parents. As you say, if you can don't focus on the deficits. If you can just find the passions, the strengths, the interests, find those, go there. Let them live in that place. There's no use focusing on what do you mean you can't ride a bike? All right, we're gonna keep practicing. You can ride a bloody bike for the next seven years. You know, uh, I mean, you know, forget about Oh, riding a bike, it took me so long. <laughs> forget about your kid riding a bike. For God's sakes, forget. Get about the bike. What do they actually want to do? Focus on that. And, yeah. th- and that's exactly the advice you've given, your joy, your strengths, your interests, your passions. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Great advice. Devastated we have to finish, but it's been a, yeah. it's been a fascinating and really delightful conversation. I hope we can do it again soon. And oh, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Madeline, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, me too. My guest was actor, writer, author and autistic woman, Madeline Ryan. A different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. An Aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Different Brilliant. I really do appreciate it. And I hope this episode has inspired, informed and entertained you. And if it has resonated with you in some way, well, please share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, just like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. You're also welcome to send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy and Dr. Tom Tutton. I'm Orion Kelly, and I look forward to celebrating the neurodiversity of autistic people and providing a voice for the autistic community on the next episode of A Different Brilliant. Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly, an aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.